I'm Kathleen. And I'm Dee. And you're listening to Mamas with Attitude, otherwise known as MWA. Mama, 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 Interesting, cool, South African, relevant yeah. content yeah. Um, on where we were at. Mm-hmm. You know, motherhood just comes to take on its different shapes and forms. Mommy's a bounce. Mommy's a bounce. Is mama's a Jesus. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Perfect. You're in another zone, but you're totally out of the twilight. Mama. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the sixth episode of MWA. Um, we have a guest with us today who we will introduce in a bit. But before we go there, Dee, I have a baby on my boob who is literally taking a shit while I'm feeding him. Hi, so hello. everyone, if you hear the other guest in the room, he won't be in for much longer. But <laughs> Okay, so how have things been with you, love? Good, things are fine. Um, I am, as we were just briefly chatting about, I am in a completely different space that feels both foreign and like I am with my old self again and I like her, <laughs> possibly more than I liked her before I had a baby, so just a whole lot of kind of genuine appreciation for, for presencing, yeah, for being able to presencing. like presence myself in a way that I just don't feel like I was able to do for two years and then in that third year or going towards three I was like okay this is getting better this is great this is oh, this is so nice it's so nice and now I am actually at a point where I feel like my feet are on the ground again well you certainly look that way these like well put together today guys I even I my hair out Woo! yeah she did yeah. her hair out she's like you know rocking all the accessories and everything meanwhile here I am like Petting, petting, endlessly petting this kid. <laughs> With your three-month-old. Yes, yes. So, so it's ten, a different world. Yeah, 11 mm-hmm. weeks, actually. So mm-hmm. it's been good. It's been a lot. I'm sleep-deprived. Mm-hmm. At this time, I would normally still be sleeping, which we've had a conversation with said guest about because we're some, in similar phases. But yeah, no, things have been good. Um, and finally, mm-hmm. I feel like Akani's regression is kind of tapering Petering. back. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he and it's interesting because as Amo becomes more aware and more interactive and like there was a moment recently where Akani peeped his head over Amu and Amu like lit up in this big smile mm. and I just like was like I'm falling in love with this the sibling interaction mm. this is dope you know like it's really cool because up until this point there hasn't been any mm. of that yes before we I think yeah you and I are done we don't really don't want to talk to we're each other we're so done we just spoke about our <laughs> short intro now and we were like we're done I said I know what she's had for supper I'm fine. I know she slept. It's okay. <laughs> so we are just super excited to have our guest here. Um, Kath, do you want to do the yeah. brief so intro? For, I think everyone in Johannesburg knows you, Nokalinda. No, that is not true. It's true. Yes, it's true. You were a Twitter celeb. You're no oh longer on Twitter, God. yes, but you were a Twitter celeb and you're very, very, you are very well known. You and your husband both, I think. Um, so Nokalinda Mkise is... <laughs> Is in studio slash kitchen, kitchen counter with yes, us. Yes. Um, and she goes by Nox on Goma on uh, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, is no longer on Twitter, which I only just discovered, but also having come off Twitter myself, we're all detoxing and recovering. Um, do you want to maybe just give us a little bit more about who you are as a person? You say you're not really well known, but. I, yeah, it's, I don't think I'm well known. I think maybe in a particular circle of Johannesburg, perhaps, but not in general, you know? I'm Noglinda, mother of four, Sangoma, what else? Really, that's all I'm doing with my life right now, so that's who I am. And homie matrimony. And homie matrimony, also a wife, I also have a husband, just one, you know? You're doing Um, so many things. I'm doing lots of things, and I'm not, you know, I'm not mad at being a person who's identities attached to her relationship with other people. So I don't mind sure. being like, you know, um, introducing myself as a mom and a wife and a sangoma because really that's who I am. But that's right. so interesting that you say that because I actually think you're probably on the money that a lot of people I've encountered don't want to introduce themselves interrelationally, mm. right? So mm. they, they'll talk about themselves as 
like who they think that they are independently of other people. But there's no such thing. But there's no there such thing. No such yeah. Thing. Yeah. And especially, I think, more poignant and, and pertinent speaking about mothering and motherhood mm. and obviously what the show is about is that you become so interrelational and in a way, the Western ideas of like, you should be independent, your, you should, your successors should be independent, really do ca- can create self-doubt for yeah. you, you know? Yeah. And it's isolating, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. I understand wanting to retain a sense of autonomy, but the truth is that you are somebody because of other people. You didn't pop out of thin air. Yeah. And your child also didn't pop out of thin air. So all of those things do become a part of who you are as a person because it's your function as well. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, who you are is also what you do and what you're doing is mothering and who you are is somebody's sustenance, mm. protection, mm. Um, you know, uh, what's the word? Whatever they look to, you know, to mm. learn things and all of that. You're a teacher, you're a student of your child. So there's nobody that exists in isolation to their community and their family. And I think it's important to just embrace that. Mm. And it doesn't take away from your autonomy. Mm. But I understand that in the Western sense, it's like, yes, but who are you outside of everybody? Because I think patriarchy makes us kind of the wards of our husbands and the, the caregivers of our children without mm. understanding that we also have our own personalities and desires and ambitions. But you can have all of those within the greater framework. Mm. of being somebody who is with other people absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah so wonderful how you how you just put that that i can do that i could i could be in the world and say that but i think not but and i don't think i'm disagreeing with you but i my sense is that there are also spaces that are as you're saying patriarchy does this right where it boxes us off mm. and it also and it isolates us so so there are performances of of this kind of alienation from self from others and how you're allowed to perform in the world and be as a mom or as a wife if you want to call yourself a mom or a wife but then the spaces that we work in are hardcore you know and yeah. i wonder sometimes so for women who go into like corporate spaces, um, for example, how much of that is set up when you walk through those doors? So if you're young and you're, what's the word? You're impressionable. You, exactly. Young and impressionable. If you don't know or you haven't heard Nokolinda say that out loud and Nokolinda's doing things in the world so you can respect that, mm. right? Then I think for a lot of young women, they just, That's they just don't know that. That's yeah. their reality. So they think that, you know, they need to separate those identities into neat boxes. Mm. So I find that interesting because I think, yeah, I can really, I really respect what you're saying. You know, it is interrelational. Our homes, our identities, how we engage with each other. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't have that experience of being in corporate because my whole practices around being a healer and a support and a counsellor yes. for other people. So I don't yes. have any experience in having to be a senior manager, having to sure. be uh, or whatever in, an, in, in a corporate environment where any show of your personal life is seen as a weakness when you're a mom. Mm. And it's seen as a, an indication that you can't be taken seriously, you can't be promoted, mm. you're seen as a risk to the company because you have this other obligation outside. You're Whereas for men, you're a liability. Mm. When you become a mother, this I know, you know, yes. even though it hasn't happened to me, when you become a mother, you do become a liability in the corporate sense. Mm. Sure. You know, because it's like now you want to look after your kids. But however, for men, when they become fathers, it's like, oh, wonderful, so we give, they give them more money. Mm. You're a breadwinner. Respectability Respectability well. comes yeah. with it. I mean, it happened with my husband. I saw on one end my my girlfriends who were climbing the corporate ladder, working very high-powered jobs, becoming parents and being kind of ostracized as a result and being sabotaged in their workplace because of it to my husband who became a father and got given a promotion mm. and more money because mm. now he's a dad and he's got a wife at home. Mm. Yeah. You know, so that double standard does apply and I can understand why moms who mm. are in a particular kind of world do want to impress upon people that they are people outside of their kids and their family because otherwise if you don't you are seen as weak as a liability as a risk to the company as not taking your job seriously and things like that but i don't personally have that experience because i'm a sangoma so i am you know it's a lonely place i think Mm. that kind of you know the way that's set up um in society we were speaking about this just last night kath and i this idea that you have to be able to do things either by yourself or within this family nucleus and within that family nucleus because you were speaking about actually you were speaking about one of your posts on Instagram anyway we'll get there in more detail later but you were speaking about postpartum well, maybe care. we should start with that I mean it's fine to, to start there right yeah we could do but mm. what really struck us both was it takes a community to create a mother or mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what the um, to raise a mother to raise a mother and I mean, it just, it hit home for us both because we were saying how much of being in the world and producing children, creating these humans in the world 
is actually there's so little awareness of the fact that there's also a mother being produced. I imagine every time, obviously the two of you could probably speak more to this at this point than I can, but the making of a mom or a mother, or that is a, a task that is not an individual task. Yeah, Do you want I to think, add more before I ask Nokalinda? Yeah, I think that it was two things that struck me. It was really, I mean, you speak a lot about your female friendships. Ebb and flow it throughout. Mm. I've followed you from Twitter as well. So in, certainly with Twitter and then now with some of your highlight reels where you'll speak about your relationships with older women and how much you've learned and grown and so on. I think you've even, you've even given it a name. I, I was looking for it last night and couldn't find it. And then again, this idea of postpartum care certainly um, is something that, that you, you speak about a lot, but also about how it does take a community to raise a woman, mm-hmm. uh, to raise a mother. And I think that that's something that you underestimate going in to motherhood. Yeah. So I know that for my first kid, I was very clear, like, I need to be able to do everything. I need to be able to, like, bath the kid, feed the kid, know the kid's intimate desires and intimate needs, mm-hmm. and, of course, throw myself into motherhood wholeheartedly. But then what about all these other facets of who I am as a person, a wife, a friend, a sister, a, mm-hmm. a, a, a daughter, or whatever? Those, those things kind of were on the back burner and neglected. And then similarly, I also think that, like, people approach nuclear families differently in the sense that they're like but you two decided to have this kid um so this is your project you mm. guys are going to do and do do the project of parenting mm. which is difficult because then you feel like th- that approach further alienates you from being able to ask for help right and the the notion of asking for help as a mother certainly for me for the first time was really yeah. really hard you know so maybe if you want to speak a bit more about what you meant about like it takes a village to raise a mother, what your feelings are and your approaches and how maybe they've changed with now four in, you know? Well, I think very similar to what you're saying, that being in the city and being alienated from my broader community, the experience that I had raising a child in Johannesburg, away from my mom and my dad's sisters and my cousins and my my own sister, you know, my grandmother, my mom's sisters and everybody, uncles and all of that, was one of great alienation, you know? And then I had to just allow my community to build itself around there to help me because everybody could see that I was struggling. Because I felt very much like I have to do everything myself, but in a community, nobody plays every kind of role. Mm. Everybody has a role to play. The older siblings have a role to play, and not just kind of nuclear family siblings, but extended family siblings. Mm. My uncle plays a particular role in my life. My, my my dad's older brother's wife, my dad's older sister, my mom's younger sister, my mom's brother. Everybody plays a role. The neighbor plays a role. Everybody plays a role in helping to form and shape a community. So the decision to make a child never belongs to just the people who've physically, biologically made the baby, but it belongs to the community because everybody Mm. then plays a role in nourishing and sustaining that person Mm. you know and you hear stories like you know like when I go home and I'm just like trying to wash the baby prepare food and everybody's like why are you doing doing all of this stuff Mm. by yourself are you really gonna wash your child again but we're right here Mm. you know and you just realize that it's like it's not even a consideration that this is your child only Mm. you know and so being able to just keep saying to my mom, like, I'm so tired, I'm so tired, and to, to say to my friends, I'm so tired, everybody just started rallying around me to give me that community because I'm new to, I mean, I'm not new anymore to the city, but I mean, I will always remain new to the city because it's such an alienated, fragmented space that I'm never sure. going to get used to it, you know? And the city's constantly, like, reinventing itself. Yes. So your engagement with the city also changes every time. It does. It changes every single time. Yeah, and yeah. being a mom in the city, I have found to be quite challenging. Sure. Less so now, as I've had more children, I've also been able to get to a point of knowing that I do need help. Mm-hmm. And it's not just being far, you know, can't punish myself for being far away from home. Mm-hmm. Now I can accept the help that is offered to me, and I have, and it's just made the whole experience so much better, even for myself as a mother, because a lot of the time you think you need help with just the child, but you also need help with yourself. Absolutely. Because, I mean, just from a biological perspective, the hormonal changes, the physical changes, and all of the kind of resulting mental and emotional emotional um, transformations that happen, you also need somebody to mother you, mm. take care of you. I mean, in Makaya, that's what they do. Mm. Somebody will give mm. you your bath water, somebody will be cooking you your porridge, somebody will make you go sit outside, bring you some food, come and hang out with you, take the baby so that you can rest. So the, the help that comes with the child is also you help to help the mother reacclimatize mm. and rediscover herself. Mm. You know, so those two things don't exist in opposition or individually, they exist together. Oh, that's lovely. Just you and I. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
You're telling me all sorts of things, my darling. Is this what you did today? That sounds cool. And your crazy brother was around? What was he doing? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you sound like a little bird. <laughs> Did you just laugh? Okay, so this notion of going home um, and being nurtured and cared for. I was always under the assumption that it was just for the fourth trimester to kind of, as you say, acclimatize you into motherhood, right? Yeah. Can you go home for longer? Like, If you can, you know, I considered going home for like a year. Yeah. It's just that I would have to be apart yeah. from my husband and that would have, you know, taken yeah. away from his own time and you know bonding with the baby so that's why we decided not to do it but i i could have easily gone home for a year you know and the thing about going home as well for me is a double-edged sword because on the one hand i understand the importance of women in the city being able to go and be in nurturing spaces but at the same time it's also done in a way to kind of excuse the husband yes. from that messy mm. Part, period. period of the first period, 12 yeah. weeks where you are bleeding, things are just like icky, swollen breast and this and that and the baby crying up all night and all of that. So on the one hand, it is kind of seen as a way to kind of like, you know, don't burden mm. with your unclean self, your husband with all of this reality mm. of being a mom. Mm. But on the other hand, it is very useful and important. And it's just hard for me to marry the two. Because mm. then mm. a lot of the time women come back and their husband has made somebody else pregnant in those 12 weeks. And so it's just like... A hot mess. A hot mess, you know? <laughs> and of course, it's unfortunate that we have to even... Our homes are so far away from us because of now the economics and the migration sure. of yeah. people in the city. So it's all of these other complex issues as well. But it is important. If your mom can come, if you have that kind of a relationship, that would be better because then the father must engage yes. as soon as possible from the beginning. Because if you yes. come back with a 12-week-old, you've already got a routine and a system, so where does the father fit in? Mm. And then that further entrenches this idea that men don't have to participate mm. in childcare. Mm. And when they do, they get lauded for it as oh if they're doing God. something so yeah. mangondovious yeah. and you yeah. know impressive yes, yeah. yes instead exactly. of just being a parent being a parent yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. now we speak about this all the time this mediocrity that is so celebrated you hold your kid mm -hmm. at like a like a friend function some people like my husband will pick the baby up and be able to pacify the baby oh he is so good he's so hands-on for people who like don't know him right so this yes. is the first impression that they get He's so hands-on. This is this is amazing. I'm like, he's just picking up his kid and being able to console his kid. Surely that's not something that we're going to like give him accolades for. Yes. It makes no you sense. You literally gave birth to this person out of your body. Yes. You are literally nourishing this person out of your body. Whether you're breastfeeding or bottle feeding, it still takes your body. 100%. Yes. You know? yeah. But a dad can literally just play with a child, yeah. change a nappy, and everybody's like, wow! <laughs> yo, 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 yeah. yo, what a good dad. And that thing for me mm. is just tedious it's tedious and and also people um they applaud it yes but they notice it that that for me is the interesting part so mm. so the coming to you and telling you oh wow he's so hands-on that's wonderful that's one part of it but people mothers with a baby on boob or older child that you know you need to answer questions whatever whatever version of it is mothers are the work they do is invisible work yes. it's it's very it's so invisible it's that seen, yeah. no not seen at all yeah. so you you're doing maybe 50 times what your partner's doing in the same space so the partner can pick the baby up and pacify them and suddenly now for for two minutes you're standing there with a glass of wine and it looks like you have a great life <laughs> actually you know you've or that the you're a neglectful parent that your husband has to, or partner had to yes. do now step in yes. because while well, look at her she's just drinking and her child is crying okay so wait so let's Shall just I... speak about being a mama for okay because okay. mm. i mean yeah, D and I, one and two. So, Mama 4 is like such a foreign concept for me. And I, yeah. we, I, as we've spoken about this in brief, when a you walked in, where I was like just saying that one of your posts, you said, I've either been breastfeeding or have been pregnant for the last five years. Mm. That for me is incredible. And maybe if you can just speak a little bit more about that journey and what that's been like for you. Hectic! <laughs> <laughs> It's such a rewarding, amazing, humbling, and I hate the fact that I have to qualify it. We always you know? premise it, right? Yes, As women now. We I love just, it. They disclaimer. Love kids. I hate the fact that I have yeah. to even premise the fact that what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. 
okay? <laughs> yes, I love it. Whatever. No disclaimers needed. No disclaimers yeah. needed. Yeah. What the absolute fuck? Yeah. I have no idea what I am doing. <laughs> I do not know. I just, I think I have a good instinct, you okay. know, which helps a lot. But, yes. wow. Can I qualify ha- that? Wait, can I just quickly qualify that? Okay. You have a good instinct, but not necessarily, as you say, a good mother's instinct. So that's not something that just kicked in instinctually for you, a mother's instinct? No. a good instinct in terms of just like... In general. people, relationally? Yeah, I think okay. in general I have a good okay. instinct. Mm-hmm. But my, I had to be so deliberate mm-hmm. in becoming a mother, sure. you know? I had to learn and understand and sit and hold space, mm-hmm. just watch my children and be like, okay, this is who you are. All right, great. How am I going to deal with you now? <laughs> you know, I had to do that. It's not like I was just this like, Earth Mama, whatever. I know I'm a Sangoma, and it just sometimes I think it can come across that like I'm so deep and so together. I'm just a person. You're a person. You're you know, a person. I'm just You're a, a person. person. And I had to learn to become a mother. I literally had to watch my children and just wait for them to tell me what they needed and then try and follow that. Yeah. And that's hard. Yeah. So hard. Yeah. It's so difficult because then yeah. you can't do what you want to do. Yes. You kind of have to do what the child needs, which means that you're even less of who you were because now you're literally just like a student. Mm. Yeah. Of this small person who has so much to tell you, but so little words, w- words and, and ability ways in and which ways to, in which mm, to communicate. Mm, so that was mm, very difficult for me, mm, just like being still and learning my kids mm, and learning mm, myself in relation mm, to that as well. And it took me a long time to get to a point where I'm like, okay, years of therapy, you know, like mm, the past six years since my first pregnancy, just being in therapy to just be like, okay, who am I in all of this? Am yes. I going to be able to pull this off? What if I try, you know, what if this, what if that? Mm. I'm feeling so dark and so defeated in so many ways, struggling with postpartum depression mm. with every single child, you know? Oh. And it gets less and less with each child, but it's still there nonetheless. And I think. Why? Wait, wait, pause. Because you can recognize it or because. And you're easy to, quick to treat it? Yes. Um, to treat it? it took me, the first time around, it was very difficult to know. I thought I was just tired. Right. Until my older woman friend, I have a friend who's got kids the same age as me. She was like, this is not just tiredness. You have depression. And my mother was like, this is not tiredness. You are depressed. Then I was able to handle it like that. But it took me like maybe three or four months. And then for that to kind of shift took Mm -hmm. like another while. And by the time I was able to start to shift it, I was pregnant again. And that just threw me completely off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah, Yeah. And then you start to work with it again and work with it again. And then just as you get through it, you're pregnant again. And I just started to feel like, am I missing a particular lesson here? Is that why this keeps happening to me? That's how I started feeling about my pregnancies. Like, these pregnancies keep happening to me because I'm not getting something. Am I failing at something? Am I not being as um, intuitive and as receptive to my lessons as I'm supposed to be? Am I being punished with all these kids? You know? kind of things yeah. that I started thinking and worrying about and then I realized like fuck no I'm just having kids because damn I'm fertile what can I do you yeah. know okay so actually you encapsulate we saw that on your yeah. postpartum that story as well so I encapsulated with Tao and Kath was asking me which people have asked me before and I, I actually can't answer it truthfully because I've had one firstly mm-hmm. but also I don't know what that experience is if you don't take yes. it, right? So I actually, I just don't know. But it was wonderful. And so I was curious to know so what made you do it. Because it's, you know, it's such a... People have such polar, mm. polarized opinions and feelings about encapsulation. Did you feel like it made a difference? And I guess, how did you know? I felt great. I loved it. And yeah. I had lots of it. I mean, to the point where I was like, I should stop taking this shit. Because now, I mean, like, I don't know. And then, I mean, I still had quite a few. And my um, midwife said... Hold on to it. Maybe you still, you know, maybe you yeah. want it in a month or two again. I think physically, my recovery postpartum, like my physical recovery, was good, right. and I and I would maybe attribute it to that. Mm. I guess mm. I wouldn't know what it's like not to take placenta yeah. because I've taken it with every pregnancy, mm. so yes. I don't know how much worse or better I would have been without it. And I even think that for my depression as well, it did help me a lot because yeah. for whatever the reason. And I think it's only. In the late 70s and 80s that we started having hospital births as a mainstream form of um, uh, medical practice in South Africa. Yes. And I think that our grandmothers 
we're still having placenta. There's a particular reason why all animals consume the placenta. Mm. And also, I'm superstitious. I don't want to leave my special placenta at the hospital. 100%. Mm. To be incinerated. Or yeah. yeah. And I know that sometimes they don't get incinerated. Mm. You know, what the, happens to them? Nurses take them and sell them to Zangwama. Sure. Because wow. they're considered lucky. Like, big, big, big power and luck kind of oh. medicine. And so I was just like, this is a Zangwama's placenta. I'm not leaving it. Mm. I would eat my placenta before I left it mm. at the hospital. Mm. So there was also that reason. Mm. Mm. Okay. And because I'm giving birth at Genesis, it's not like I'm giving birth like at Bara, for example, where there's like sure. thousands of patients and so many things happening. It's like, okay, room seven, there's a Sangoma, <laughs> you know? Mm. So it would be, yes. if somebody were to want to take my placenta, it would be very easy for them to get a hold of it and just keep it for themselves. And so for the, for spiritual reasons, I wanted to protect the sacredness of the placenta by giving right. it back to my body. Practically, mm. I wanted the hormones and all of the things that came with it. And then also practically, I didn't want to have it as a powder because I was like that's gross mm. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that though <laughs> I love how you've come to that gross <laughs> it is gross it's, I mean if you think about it it's disgusting but it works you yeah, know yeah. and yeah. I still take my placenta pills and it does help me a lot you know mm. I can tell like physically the kind of recovery that I have Yes. You know, and the kind of you know when you listen to other people and the things that they say, you're just like, oh, I didn't have that physical experience, and it could be because I took yeah, placenta. Maybe placenta. it's just because I'm strong. I don't know. Mm, I yeah. can't say. It's hard to know. Right? It's hard to know hard if you haven't. If you've always taken it, it's hard to mm. know what it would be like if you hadn't. But yeah. I mean, I must admit now, I think if I, you know, if I have to have another, I don't think I'd not want to take it because mm. now, what if I don't? And then I'll be like, oh, well, this was stupid. Yeah, <laughs> that wasn't clever. You might just regret not taking yes. it. Yes. Exactly. I guess it's hard to know but it's true people have polarizing views about it because it's so called human waste you know and that it gets so called incinerated because mm. I you know a lot of I mean the number of times people have tried to sell me a placenta wow I'm so flawed by that though because you just used to make the assumption that it's be, going to be incinerated but you're 100% correct yeah. it's, it's incredibly sacred so granted it's, it's perceived as human waste but it's sacred like yeah. it's a sacred mm. organ or piece of the body so tell me about the bearing of the placenta which is something you do Kath yeah, so I looked at placenta encapsulation mm. and actually was really intrigued and wanted to do it and was toying with it and then just actually didn't get my ass into gear for my first uh, pregnancy. It was like the one thing that fell through the cracks for whatever reason. Mm. And then decided after birth, had a very difficult birth, but had the, the, decided after birth, I want to take my placenta with me. And I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it, but I'm going to take it with me. So I took it with me and then buried it in our last house under a big tree, which just made me feel incredibly happy. I can't mm. tell you why. That was just, I felt like I was bringing it home and it was full contained within home yeah um, and then similarly for this one just decided not to encapsulate i felt like i, I wasn't necessarily robbed of an experience not encapsulating last time mm. i mean i don't know again because it's exactly what you're saying like if you if you have if you haven't done either version of it so either if you haven't not encapsulated or if you've encapsulated mm. only mm. you don't have a reference point mm. so i don't know if i would feel better if i would only know if i had done that with amu right yes. but with amu's placenta buried it in the garden and we're quite happy with it because mm. we just moved into this house and it felt like Mm. It felt like there was a giving back and a thanks, like un underneath a really big tree, and just yeah. like you know, this is we are mm. home now. This house is for this child, and yeah. So this is kind of a, a ritual that your family's decided on, not decided on, but I mean, it's something you guys have we've done, yeah, chosen to do, and then a little prayer and a like a thanks, like a thanks, yeah, yeah. giving back just and thanks, and it's not gratitude. Yeah, no one else is there. It's me and my yeah. partner, and then yeah. before the second baby, it was me and my partner and Akani, and Akani yeah. was like standing around going, "What's that? That's gross." What what are we yeah. doing putting it in there you know and like now he takes his spade down to the garden and he's like i'm gonna go dig up that thing mama oh what do you love about them they catch baddies oh wow that is very exciting i love eating garbage trucks wow what do they do they pick up rubbish oh wow why do they take rubbish and cans? Why do they take rubbish and cans? They're probably taking it to the rubbish heap, the rubbish dump. No, they're making toys with it. Oh, who's this? The wise elf. The wise elf. The wise old elf. The wise old elf. Okay. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go.
What you doing? I remember when I was sick last year. It is already last year because that's when I was pregnant. Just before I felt pregnant, I was very, very ill. My mm -hmm. thyroid just decided to just go and short circuit on me. And I was incredibly ill. And my dad lives in Johannesburg. Some dad sometimes lives in Johannesburg. And he said, the amount of time that we spend with our children, just me and Tim, is completely not natural. This is not the way that it's supposed to be. He was like, you spend too much time with your kids. Mm. This is why you're not like you're not well. So but he, don't you think that's also the city? It is the city. That's what he was saying. Yeah, it's crazy. My father is trying to get us back to Cape Town. He's going, but if you come back, you'll have so much support and you'll yes. have so much. I'm going like, yo, I don't know if I can pack up and do it again. I'm just. The, the thought of it just tires me. We started looking for homes in Maritzburg. Like, that's how serious I was about like, being in my community. But it's just that because mm -hmm. of work, I would have to choose support yes. or the kids having their dad every day, you know. And that was sure. the difficult decision that we had to make because he would have to basically mm -hmm. live in Johannesburg commute. and then commute. And commute. And we just thought, you know what, I so can't. Maritzburg is, is home. Yeah. Well, that, mm -hmm. area, that area. Yeah. It's so beautiful as well. And the other thing is exactly what you're saying, spending so much time with your kids. I remember, I grew up in Johannesburg, right? But this is like 90. 1980s, 19, early 1990s. And it was a very different experience because mm. I remember I would just have to be home by sunset. And I think that the kids who grow up in other spaces, that's what their experience is. Yeah. They can cycle, they can ride their bikes, they have a level of agency, they can go and play where, wherever they choose to play. You know, I was in Yeovil, I was in Langlachta, I, li I lived, I was in Lenz, I lived across the, the city. And there was some anxiety from my mother, but my mother was also a single parent. So she was, she had to let some of her anxiety go in yeah. a way. Mm. Um, and allow me the, the space and the agency to be able to move through my area, my local community with a level of ease. I sure. do not have that. I do not feel that for my kids. I don't feel it at all as well. Mm. And it's hard. I don't even want them playing by the gate. It yeah. is hard. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. And they have no sense of danger which is incredible and I love the fact that, you know, people have worked so hard and died in this country to give us the allowance for some of that to be a reality because I didn't grow up like that at all but I am mm. scared for my kids. Mm. Mm. And they're not scared at all for themselves, which is wonderful because I grew up as a scared child. So yeah, I appreciate the fact that they have that just innocence yes. of being friendly with everybody and not, not have that like... like yeah, they're just like, oh, it's, you know, whatever. They don't even think that somebody could do something. But we grew up in such a hyper-vigilant security state that I didn't have that. Mm. And I love the fact that my kids have that, but mm. it makes me very scared mm. for them. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to put that on them and make them paranoid and unwelcoming of people because I want them to grow up with open hearts. But at the same time, I'm just sure. like, how do I do that 100%. while raising space. them to be aware of their own safety without giving them the impression that they can't trust mm. people, which yeah. they can and they can't. I suppose it goes back to what you're saying around instinct right mm. and yeah. if you feel like you have a good instinct maybe it's passing that instinct on to kids and working from gut mm. i don't know mm. i know it's not it doesn't tick all the boxes but yeah i actually just wanted to swing back to ritual mm. again in this very beautiful post if you don't follow nokalinda on instagram please do because i think just what a beautiful platform you know you you are creating all the time i know we've spoken a little bit about postpartum and what that means and we've spoken about the encapsulation but you do this series of photographs with some text describing what you're doing you say um the you have these images of is it are you in the bath with mm -hmm. your doula not with your doula but yeah. your doula and the herbs and then the wrapping well you said first mm. you get a massage and then you get wrapped and then you fall the fuck asleep <laughs> <laughs> um is this something you did with each of your children and how important do you think not the ritual is there's something that i feel or think uh, my, i might be wrong and they, i get that they're related the kind of making of a mother but yeah. this is a very specific moment it feels like something that where you're saying there's this moment where my physical body needs to be treated with as much care as in kind of traditional parlance we speak yeah. about the baby you know so suddenly the baby's here the baby needs to be warm and the baby needs to be this and the baby I was amazed not how little anybody cared about me but it was kind of like oh great you know baby's out there were no complications you didn't do like, that's wonderful great okay let's keep it moving oh you're not feeding properly you're not doing this so everything becomes about you in relationship relation to the baby and what i thought was so beautiful and really hit home for me about these posts was 
or about the series that you posted was this was about your body specifically um so that was my first time doing a seating ceremony so my friend is a doula training to be a midwife in the united states and she works a lot and studies under indigenous midwives so african um, native Mm. american midwives and this is part of the one of the native american traditions of sealing and i imagine that we would have had a similar practice Mm. it's just that my grandmother was a midwife my mom my dad's mom but she passed away when i was one so i've lost my contact And I don't know any traditional midwives in South Africa anymore. I just know clinical midwives. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that there would have been a similar process because it's about sealing Mm -hmm. your body and returning the heat and the warmth to your bones and to your structure, as it were, because you gave so much when you gave birth. You gave so much in growing this baby inside of you. But um, before this, my ritual was stay in the bed for, for a month. So that's all I did. After having a baby, we would go home and I would get into bed and I would stay there for a month. Mm-hmm. And everybody would have to, after two or three weeks, we would then be accepting very close friends and family visitors that would have come and get in the bed with me, bring me food in the bed. I would do everything in the bed. And then Tim would just be out in the world cooking for me, doing all the things. And I would literally touch Nothing, nothing for a month you know and i know it's supposed to be 12 weeks or whatever but mm. we don't have that luxury yes. in the city so Different. four weeks was the the maximum that i could do Context. so baby one two and three that's what we did just kind of be in the bed mm. and kind of cordon me and my baby off from the world mm. for a month and then everybody comes to us in that time and tim then takes care of the house and the other mm. kids and i get to rest and sleep eat porridge drink all my tea, take my placenta, all of that. But then now my friend flew from the States. She was, yes. she was, she was supposed to come. I'd never had a doula before. She was supposed to be my doula mm. for this birth because she was like, fourth baby, we definitely have to try and do things the right way. As, <laughs> because, wow, you've been through a lot. You know? She was like, I need to come there and make sure because damn girl, <laughs> you've, you've done it, you know? So she missed the birth by a couple of days. Okay. Because okay. at 38 weeks, I was finished couldn't walk couldn't do anything i was like so open and also i had gestational diabetes so my midwife was like okay by protocol we're supposed to induce you and i was like get the thing the fuck out of me now and she was like okay cool my friend was arriving i think on a sunday gave birth on a thursday i was like fuck i'm sick and tired (laughs) weeping angry all the things you know and so then when she arrived we then just started the postpartum care she brought cocoa she brought tobacco Mm. she brought mugwort oil she brought comfrey oil and she was Mm. just massaging me every day bathing me every day feeding me every day and i just had somebody taking care of me as Mm. much as i was taking care of the baby and she did that for like three weeks Wow. So we would I, gossip, amazing. have tea, that's she would amazing. every day. And then now, because I had um, some pubic symphysis, mm. my pubic bone from the second pregnancy was giving me problems. Okay. We were doing exercises every day. She was massaging, she was wrapping me every day. Incredible. So just like every single day, I had somebody mothering me. Every single day, I had somebody cleansing me, bathing me, feeding me, holding me, talking with me mm. from my bedroom. And that was just the most incredible sealing. And then we did the sealing ritual with her and another herbalist friend of mine. She brought okay. the herbs and then and she brought the knowledge and together they just did this amazing ritual for me sealed me i fell asleep and i just felt put together yeah after all these years of just oh, being scattered goodness. across my kids mm. and my practice and my life and all of that i just felt so put together and then she left after that it was amazing that sounds incredible God, i got goosebumps from the entire I know, thing me like, too i, I, I just literally like, I just like I need to have another child now to be like i mean sealed there's, the, yeah, there's no because... statute of limitations as to when you can do it yeah mm. and she taught me the process but i was like it's too intense i'd have to charge a hundred thousand because it's a lot of work what are some of the ways in which you think one could practice pregnant or postpartum wellness Mm. in a more conscious way that was more aware of your own beliefs your own cultural practices or things that you feel would enrich your life and your child's life or your pregnancy and your postpartum experience and how you're bonding with your child or how you're just coming back to self Mm. you know because yeah I, i i mean i don't think neither kath nor i are lying when we say we really felt that now when you were speaking Mm. i mean to this idea of you know almost exactly as you said it's sealing but it's also it's a kind of care Mm. right it's a it's a kind of care that is it's it's physical but it's also intangible and it's conscious i almost want to like considered yeah Yeah. and i mean i feel like maybe that's just an ongoing conversation right where we think about in a space like johannesburg that is so demanding that is so filled with um, Angst and anxiety. Angst, anxieties, likers of all things, mm. you know, um, aspirational in ways that are actually quite overwhelming, 
I think for many of us. How do we, you know, find spaces where we can create that kind of care and consideration? It's community care, really. It just sounds exceptional because it's something that we don't see. But in the communities where my friend works, in the indigenous communities, the Mexican community, this is standard practice. This is what the mothers get and do for one another in particular communities. So postpartum care is community-based health care. So I think what what I find interesting Mm. is that in Johannesburg, we are swinging back, or pockets of people are Mm. swinging back to a notion of natural vaginal birth, right? Mm. Looking for midwife-led, and even though it's clinical, clinical midwife-led yeah. birth. So it almost feels like we're, there's a there's a re-emergence of like, a, oh shit, actually this is natural and we, we can actually pursue these kinds of um, births for ourselves in these ways that make sense to us. I think that the next kind of step, and maybe it's our generation or the generations that are following it, is to then swing back to what happens thereafter because yeah. there is no conversation that's happening around what happens after. It's exactly what Dee was saying, is that if you haven't torn, if you have had a relatively simple birth, what a win. You did things the right way. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. go off into the world and like live your life and become a mom and or you not, don't know what that looks like. Or not even you did you did things the right way, but your your body is somehow you you're celebrated for that. Yeah. Momentarily. Yes. Momentarily yes. you are celebrated that wow your body could do that hard thing, right? But also a lot of women look at you with an element of like you also say in one of your posts I don't think you phrase it quite this way but almost like why would you do that so you speak about how there's such anxiety around feeling pain or being being uncomfortable yes exactly discomfort is something that you purposefully distance yourself from and I almost think that I, I would almost go as far as to say discomfort is something you distance yourself from the more materially comfortable yes. you are, yeah. right? The less, and you do say that, yeah, so you speak about it as yeah. a kind of middle class mm. um, kind of sensibility, right? It's, yeah. a, it's a very kind of strong sensibility of middle classness in this country, in urban spaces. And I think what you're saying, I completely hear you, community, right? This is how communities cared for each other. But I was fascinated when, uh, so I often say to, to Kath, you know, my mom, um, she'll say to me, yeah, well, you know, you're lucky you don't have girls because you just, I don't think you'd cope with brushing hair and doing all of those things. There's a lot of kindness that can come from community, but because mm. moms have also been alienated over generations and in their own ways done their weird aspirational ma- for, for material things, yes. right? Because the way I understand it now, and I didn't for a long time, is that my parents grew up working class and then they, they worked, as many of our parents did, to try and hit some kind of middle class mm. strata to offer their kids something better right so we grew up in in a different way i get that but but in doing that there's something that gets lost Mm. right so there's a lot that you gain like a bigger house maybe you know means and time yes there's space for you somewhere in the suburbs you know it's neater things are are more put together in 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 kind of clear ways but you lose a lot of contact with community Mm. in ways where community is part of your life so in a way it becomes really hard for those communities to practice care in a considered and over time. So they can come visit, they can bring something nice, they'll bring a gift for the baby, Mm. but like, you know, people aren't necessarily going to be present in your life in those ways that you may need because in some ways that's not how it's been set up. So to go back, you have to now consciously... You have to risk. It's a a risk of of income because capitalism Mm. makes it difficult for people to give up their time to care for one another, you know. Mm. So it does become a risk. I mean, my dad when in with my first pregnancy used to come around mm-hmm. and bind me to mm-hmm. help my uterus and everything because I, I mean all my babies were very big mm-hmm. so he would come around and he would bind me you know and then somebody would send a driver with like food you know what I'm saying? But my, and my mom came for like a couple of days, but she had to go back to work. Mm. Right. She has other things to worry about. She got her chickens at home and everything. So I wasn't able to get the same quality of care, physical care, daily care from my family in the way that they would have liked to give it to me because they have financial responsibilities. Yes. You know, and my husband took time. I think he took three weeks or something like that. And then he then took his annual leave. So then he was at home for quite a long time. But eventually the pressure... Of he couldn't be at home for three months, which is what he could have, you know, what he would have maybe wanted to do. But because of capitalism, he mm. had to get back to work, mm. which means that then my father had to then step in mm. and come in that you know that zoo hour between four and seven. Mm-hmm. The witching hour. The, that hour, my father had to come around and just like hold the baby for me so that I could eat, help me bath the baby, have, mm. and then my husband would come home. Mm. 
you know, so then somebody had to step in. But yeah. even that, my father was able to make those concessions because he was in a different kind of work at the time, which allowed him a little bit more freedom and flexibility. Uh -huh. When my husband had to go back to work, I still needed somebody there and I was all alone. Mm -hmm. And my father had to step mm. in to do that for me. Because you can't, you, between four and seven, you can't do that alone. It's yeah. like the worst possible time with kids, it you is. know. And so capitalism made it very difficult mm -hmm. for us to even be at home. Because in Maritzburg, there is no work, really. Mm -hmm. You know, it made it difficult for my husband to stay at home as long as he needed to. It made it difficult for my mother to come and be with me as long as she wanted to. It made it difficult for me to even think about having a baby in Peter Maritzburg and staying there for mm -hmm. a couple of months. So capitalism made it very difficult. Mm -hmm. And then patriarchy also made it difficult because then now, it's like okay well your wife is at home so why do you need to be at home yes you know then you can work longer hours yes. well done you married a woman now she'll take care of your house and you can take care of your work mm. you know so then between at the intersection of capitalism and patriarchy it's a it's an anti-life system Absolutely. you know an anti-family system because then it makes it very difficult for people to participate in the communities the way that they would want to Absolutely. Mm. and they need to mm. you know we need to be participating mm. at a certain level but we can't because of that mm. so i don't know you know in terms of what you're talking about, when are we getting back to this understanding and consciousness of community care postpartum and all of that because it requires time. Mm. Yeah. And people have and sold have, and we don't and have the time. it requires a kind of emotional and physical availability that is not granted to people who live in cities. Yes. And so, actually, I think what's, what's also interesting about what you're saying is that part of the reason why so much is a commodity in the city is because a lot of things that could be freely available elsewhere where simply cannot be because time is consistently being bought. Yes. Right? And so even something like that, like, I mean, I'm not saying like your doula because I think that's a different conversation mm. because she came from elsewhere as yeah. well. But I mean, just having the, the kind of consciousness in that kind of practice is itself a commodity. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So. Hi, Mama. May I get a kiss? Good morning, please. Yeah. Thanks, Tao. I love you, Tao. I love you, Mommy. <laughs> before, we, before we like make you speak for the whole day, can we get to homie matrimony? Yeah, we can. We can definitely get to homie yeah, matrimony. What about it? <laughs> <laughs> we oh, speak yeah. about it. So interesting. We've had, we've had a couple of people on, and they speak about partnerships in interesting ways. And I think that with with small babies, there's a lot that comes with having homie matrimony. So first, you coined the phrase homie matrimony, which is such a dope phrase. I really, it, it re when I heard it, it resonated with me. It resonated with my partner. He was just like, shit, yeah, that's what we kind of are all aspiring mm. for. We want to be friends and build a foundation and a, mm. like a companionship that is st stable enough for us as individuals, for the couple, and also for the kids, mm. all the all the things. But it's been interesting having moms on who are babying small kids because there's a lot of partner resentment that comes up. Mm. There's a lot of stuff that shakes that ground that mm. I feel like the ground it does not shake until a child comes into that space. Oh yes, you know, and I and I don't mean that in a condescending way with people who don't have kids, but like having had the kids, I'm like yes, sis. and they make then it shake. The second kid, where you're like, there's no ways that okay, it's shaken, it's shaken enough. We've had earthquakes here. It will be fine because now we're guarding ourselves against said earthquakes. Mm. Mm. Second kid comes in, there's a whole other shaking that happens, oh, yes. right? So... <laughs> New fault lines. <laughs> New fault lines, exactly. <laughs> so maybe speak a little bit about your relationship with Tim, what you're willing to share, this idea of homie matrimony. What does it mean for you guys and how are you navigating those spaces with children? We So today I'm actually releasing... It doesn't... It won't be today when this yeah. thing comes out, you're, but... Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. But there's a video that we did with um, one of my best friends, Maria, and we were taking questions from people on Twitter, and somebody asked us about the tough years. And I literally was like, year two, which was the year we had our first child. We'd been together for a year when I felt pregnant. Mm -hmm. Year two, year four, year six, year seven. This is, these are all the years that we've had kids. The, you know, the amount of you know you just get tired and you're like I'm so fucking tired of you right now and he's like yeah me too I'm also fucking tired of you and it's just like fuck <laughs> and then life has to continue you know what I mean it's like no matter how the kids make it shake the thing has to function yeah he's still gonna make me breakfast in the morning he's still gonna bring me my tea he's still gonna do all the things but we're looking at each other like fuck 
<laughs> I'm so tired. Because <laughs> it's like I can't not sleep yeah. and deal with children and worry about the future for these kids and mm. also deal with your bullshit. Also, like it's not going to happen. And he's feeling yeah. exactly the same way. So it's just like levels of patience for one another are at an all time zero. Yes. But life must still continue. Yeah. Yes. So there must still be kindness and functionality mm. in this relationship, mm. even when you're not liking each other very much. Mm. Yeah. You know? And I found that, and I made a decision, and I always tell him, and he always thinks it's a bit like rude of me. I always say to him, even if I hadn't fallen in love with you, I would have married you because you're such a good person, mm. you know, and I can live with you, regardless of yes. whether, how, however I may feel about my husband, mm. there's this, and this solid, solid, solid thing where mm. it's like, no matter what happens, the foundation of our relationship is so grounded in something that I think is beyond the both of us that mm. I don't, I made. I get to stages of disliking him a lot and being so, so tired yes. of him. And he gets so, so tired of me. But because we'll hit rock bottom and it's like, it's a solid thing. And now all we, can, we can't get lower than that, mm. you know? And we've gotten to that bottom place mm. with every child, mm. with every single child, the lack of sleep. Because the first thing you lose is empathy Definitely. when you sleep deprived. So when the empathy goes, it's like, fuck you know, sick of each other, can't stand each other. Suddenly all the things that you are putting up with, you don't want to do it anymore. It's just, you know, it's whatever. But we get to this point of like, okay, we can't get lower than this because then we have to build again. And I really respect that about him and about what we have because the thing that we have is so solid at the very bottom of it that we can't go lower than a certain point. Mm. We always hit that point and then it's like, okay, now we have to build again. And then we start again. And we now we remember what it looked like before. So we're like rebuilding, rebuilding, rebuilding. And it's precarious, it's sensitive, it's whatever. And the thing is, is that people don't want to hear that as well. Mm. Yeah. When you talk about nobody the difficulty, wants nobody to. wants to hear about the work that goes into being in a relationship. Yeah. But it's there. Mm. And I feel like we work well together. Mm. And regardless of how much I may like or dislike my husband, we work well together. Mm. And that makes me get back to a place of feeling like, okay, I can appreciate him again and I can put up with certain things again because even no matter how many times we go back to it, I'm just like, I can live with you. Sure. And talk to me about those daily acts of kindness that you, you, you spoke about. And I know that you've, in one of your Instagram posts, you speak about um, him bringing you breakfast in bed. Every for, day. For your whole marriage. The whole time we've been together. Yes. Yes, tell us more. What 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 is that like? So what what are the daily acts of kindness? Because that so, is part of the building, right? Yes. So my husband is like an act of service kind of guy. Okay. Mm. So he wants to do things. That's beautiful. Everything. Mm, yeah. And I am lazy as fuck, so I love it. <laughs> you know, he wants to go to the shops. He wants to fix a thing. He wants to give me food. He wants to make me tea. Yeah. He just wants to make sure that I'm okay. Yeah. He's one of those like people that's just like, I'll do yeah. whatever, as long as it makes you happy. So every day, well, is that like your like, husband? My partner. Oh, you're, He's like that. Mm. Sometimes I'm like, you're so weird. Leave me alone. <laughs> He's always like, what do you need? What do you need? So if, you know, he, he'll want to drive me places. He'll want to take time off just to make sure that I don't have to do something. Yeah. And I really love it because, wow, I'm lazy and I'm such a princess. I want to be taken care of, you know? And he just wants to take care of me. So every single day, ever since we've been together, he makes me breakfast in bed. Incredible. I can count the number of times when he hasn't been able to do it. When he's away, he can't do it, obviously. Mm. Sometimes it's, like, super busy. But, like, I'd say six times... Out of seven. Wow. That's incredible. He makes me breakfast in bed. That is incredible. What you with Nokalinda was so good that we had to break it up into two parts. Catch the second part of MWA with Nokalinda on Friday. In part two, we discuss race, children, acts of service and nutrition. Until then, remember to subscribe, rate and share this podcast. Hey, I'm Kathleen. And I'm Dee. And you're listening to Mamas with Attitude, otherwise known as MWA. Mama, 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 the That's same way so I immersed myself in my career. Yeah, you've now immersed yourself. I've now in immersed motherhood. myself in motherhood. Mommy's a bounce.
Mommy's a bounce. Is mama's a bounce? Weird. Yeah. <laughs> you know, motherhood just comes to take on its different shapes and forms. Mama, mama, mama. <laughs> no, actually, seriously, on a serious note, it's it's been really dope. Thank you. Okay, bye. Mama, 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 mama. 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 I said you.